Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 148, and we're going to answer the eternal question of all time. Is an iPad enough? No, seriously, I did an experiment. Stick with me. There's good stuff in here, I promise. We're also going to talk about the fact that everyone has a freezer if you're doing winter camping, a tale from the road involving an escape artist who couldn't escape, and a place to visit that you haven't been to yet. No, seriously, none of you have. I know this for a fact, but we will get to that. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I am really hoping for a normal episode. I'm home. I'm in my studio, a.k.a. my desk, and I've got my equipment, and everything should be normal this week. It's a miracle, but uh, well, we'll see what actually happens, because I never know. So I just did this massive experiment, and I didn't tell anybody about it, because why would I? It, it, all I did was... I traveled extensively, as you are all very sick of hearing about, with just my iPad. I did not bring my computer. Now, to take a step back here, I am a computer person. I'm not an iPad person. I have an iPad. I have a very nice iPad Pro with a magic keyboard. I mean, it's a really nice setup. I basically have this really nice, nice neat little tiny package that's very, very powerful. But I always prefer a computer. I like having access to a terminal. I like having access to a full web browser and all this stuff. But it weighs a lot. It costs a lot. It requires more specific charging, although that's less true now than it ever has been before. And I thought, well, gee, maybe I can just get away with my iPad. And what really started me down this road was going to Antarctica, because one of the flights to Antarctica, the flight from Buenos Aires to Ushuaia, had a weight restriction that was pretty tight. You couldn't carry anything on the plane that weighed more than, I think it was 22 pounds, and um, that was going to be tough for all of my stuff. So I thought, well, I'll leave the computer home and bring the iPad. And I did. And, um, well, you saw the result. <laughs> a big part of the struggles I've had getting content up has been because I brought the iPad. But that doesn't mean it's a terrible idea. And I'm going to talk about the pros and cons of going iPad only. Now, the best of both worlds, obviously, is to have a tablet and a computer. And if you have space, like, you know, in your van, then do both. I mean, obviously, these things cost money. We're going to ignore that for now because it's the virtual podcast world and we can ignore whatever we want. But yeah. If you can have both, have both, because an iPad cannot replace everything a computer can do. Let me say that again for those in the back. An iPad cannot replace everything a computer can do. Okay, now that we have that settled, <laughs> let's talk about what it really can do. So my iPad setup is pretty slick. Now, I know some of you are Android users, and you're like, iPad, pff, Apple, Apple Tax, blah, blah. I, no, I get it. There are Samsung tablets that you can get. There are Android tablets. The idea of a tablet is a different concept than a computer. And the main thing that sets apart a tablet from a computer isn't the OS, which, of course, is different. But it's the fact that they have built-in cellular access. This is kind of the magic bullet. So my iPad has not only Wi-Fi, but I did pay extra for the cellular option, and I do pay a monthly fee. It basically is just like a phone in that regard. I pay a fee every month, and I get so many minutes and stuff. But here is the big but. 
the phone company sees it as a phone, and that means I get unlimited data for upstream, downstream. It's just unlimited. Now, I use AT&T. Everyone's plans are different, but on my plan, I get unlimited upstream with my iPad, just like I do on my phone. And why that matters is because as a creator, as somebody who's making podcasts and videos and stuff, I can upload massive files over the cellular network from my iPad, and it doesn't cost me anymore. And if I were to do that with my computer, using my iPad or my iPhone as a hotspot, I would have a 15 gig limit, or perhaps a, perhaps a 40 gig limit, depending on what your plan is. But you see the point here. You will have fewer data caps with an iPad than with a computer. And yes, you could just make your file on the computer and then move it over to the iPad and then upload it that way. You can absolutely do that. But it is just so nice to be able to open your iPad anywhere, be instantly connected, and be able to do whatever you want. As a bonus, the AT&T plan I had included Latin America. So all through Argentina and Uruguay, I was able to just use the iPad like I was at home. I didn't have to change anything. I did use a VPN now and again to get past some things. Like I was trying to watch a series on Netflix and I couldn't watch it in Uruguay because it's like, you're not in the U.S. And you're like, oh, darn, you're right. So turn on the VPN. And oh, suddenly I'm in the U.S. Magic. Yeah. Anyway, whole other separate thing. But uh, yeah, it was great. So why wouldn't I say just use this iPad? I mean, what what can't you do with an iPad? I mean, you can do email. There are excellent, excellent video editors. No, I'm not kidding here. You can do professional-level video editing on an iPad now with a program called LumaFusion. It's $35. It's really good, folks. I am not kidding. LumaFusion does amazing things. And now DaVinci Resolve, which is a well-known editing program, is also on the iPad. So the iPad, because of its architecture, can actually handle video files better than a computer. My iMac at home is pretty old. It's from 2013. I couldn't do video editing on it. It's too old. But my iPad picked it up like nothing. So video editing, absolutely. Podcasts, yeah, you can do podcasts on an iPad, no problem. I use a program called Ferrite. It has a little bit of a learning curve. It's very visual. And it really helps to have a pencil if you're going to use this, an Apple pencil, but you don't have to. That's a fairly affordable program. I think that was $10. And this is really good quality stuff. You're not sacrificing anything to use this. So again, what was my problem? Well, I had a few very specific strange problems that prevented me from getting content up. And I had two separate problems. The first problem was iPad programs just can't do everything that computer programs can do. And uh, it, it was kind of unexpected. So I blog on medium.com. This is a very famous blogging platform and they have an iPad app and it doesn't work. I mean, it works, but it's terrible. It has such a limited feature set and it doesn't like the keyboard that comes with the iPad. Well, it doesn't come with it. It doesn't like the Apple Magic Keyboard, the most popular keyboard. When you hook that keyboard up, the screen goes blank. It's so frustrating. And so I thought, all right, I'll just use the web browser on my iPad. No, they block it. If you go to the website on Chrome or Safari and the website detects that you're using an iPad, it blocks the site. So I'm like, okay, I will download a program that makes the iPad look like it's a computer, which is not hard to do. And medium.com doesn't have a normal login process. You can't just log in. You have to 
request an email code login and that code resists copying and whenever i clicked on it it would bring up safari and i just got so frustrated with it it was just a nightmare all i was trying to do was write my little travel log and i couldn't do it i could write it but getting it into medium with all the formatting and everything was so very difficult that uh, I will never do it again. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm either going to bring my laptop or I'm going to abandon Medium. Uh, iPad and Medium.com are not a usable combination. The other problem I had was using Wi-Fi, because I didn't have a cell phone signal, in low data conditions. And this is where Podbean, the host of the, the host of this show, I mean, I pay them to host this podcast, really kind of screwed me. They don't really have a good way for you to upload content from the iPad. You can use the web browser and you can use FTP if you can remember their arcane codes, but it times out really fast. So if you have a slow connection, say like on a ship, there's really no way to get a file up. And I ran into this in Antarctica and I ran into this again last week in the Caribbean because there was something wrong with the internet on the ship. And that's why the podcast was delayed. Again, very, very frustrating. And you might think, oh, well, a computer wouldn't help you there. But, but it would because the software is different on the computer and it doesn't have these timeouts. And you also have more options. So if everything's going perfectly, your iPad's going to do great. And it's going to be the only thing you need. But if it doesn't go perfectly and you're the kind of person that likes to fix things, well, you can't, re you can't replace a computer. I mean, that's the bottom line. So for you, should you head out on the road with just an iPad? And I would answer yes. If you can do everything you need to do on an iPad, absolutely, it's fine. You may run into one or two little things that you can't do, and maybe they're not that important. Maybe you can find a web browser that imitates a PC, or maybe you can actually just go to a library and do a little piece like that. But for me, no, um, I can't. I, I don't want to ever travel with just an iPad ever again. Um, I mean, if I'm going to do an overnight or something, it's probably fine. But if I'm going to do any content creation, I am definitely going to bring my Mac um, or a PC. I, I tend to be a Mac person. I use both. I'm not all that religious about it. But uh, yeah, I, the iPad, as wonderful it is, and it is wonderful, I will be using mostly as a media device rather than a content creation device. And that's really a shame because because there's nothing in the hardware that prevents you from using this thing as an ultimate content creation tablet. It does everything. It's just that the companies who make the software limit it so much so that it'll work on all iPads, including the really old ones that can't do this stuff. So I don't know. I, I found it very frustrating. I'd, I'd be happy to hear about your experiences. And I've also would love to hear about the Android tablet people. My understanding is that Android tablets have kind of fallen behind. They're just not that popular and they're basically just big phones. If that impression is incorrect, please let me know. I actually have a Zoom, remember those? A Zoom tablet and a Galaxy Tab 3 here and a bunch of Fire tablets, which of course Amazon Fire tablets are really just kind of modified Android tablets. And um, they all do just look like big phones to me. Uh, they do everything the phones do and really nothing more. All this aside, I do want to say one thing for those of you who have not adopted tablets yet. Get yourself a cheap tablet. Go get, there are fires available for 50 bucks. They are 
awesome media consumption devices. You can go on Netflix, you can download an entire season of a show and watch it offline and use very little battery power. I watched the entire season of Man Who Fell to Earth on my iPad on a single charge. (laughs) I didn't even have to charge the thing. I was able to watch the entire thing in super high resolution And that's a killer application for these tablets. And you don't need an $1,100 iPad to do that. You can do that with a $50 Fire tablet just fine. So, content creators out there, heed my warning. You are going to want to have access to a computer. Even though iPads can do the fancy stuff, I think you're going to find frustration in the end. But I certainly hope you don't. Tech Talk. Folks, I'd like to congratulate everyone now that we're in mid-December, as some may say, the bleak mid-December. Uh, everybody has a freezer. Well, okay. If you're doing any sort of winter camping, uh, you have a freezer or at least a refrigerator. Yes, this is the time of year when you can start leaving things outside. And they're, they're Forresty Forrest did a camping in the winter video where he kept ice cream on the tires of his van. And, and that works. So I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because it's a little bit more complicated than this. So if it's below freezing outside, yes, you can leave your food outside. If you, you can go to the store and buy a whole bunch of frozen food and leave it outside, and that's great. But you still have the problem of animals. <laughs> so if you're going to do this, create some kind of a storage area outside. And depending on how your van's set up, you, heck, you might have those built in. I mean, if you've got an ambulance with a type 1 or type 3 body on the back, you know, the box... Heck, you just designate a compartment, this is the freezer, and it'll work all winter long. But if you're in a more traditional van, it might be a little bit more tricky. So one simple thing you can do is just attach a box to the back, put it on the roof, it doesn't matter. But what I suggest you use is a cooler. Yeah, I know that sounds crazy, but get yourself a cheap cooler and have that store your frozen foods for the winter. And really big tip here, freeze water in there, and then you can have ice inside. Make ice cubes, whatever. Yeah, it's cold. You want to be warm inside. I get it. But there are times when you're going to want ice. You might as well make it while it's free. So... Welcome to that time of year where everyone who's braving the North has a free freezer. It's a glorious time, and those of us who really enjoy ice cream and are frustrated trying to fit it into that little tiny freezer compartment in your van, even if you have one, which most of us don't, well, rejoice. Winter is here. Product review. So when I was doing all my traveling, again, weight was a big concern for me. I'll probably be talking about that for several weeks, how I was reducing weight. And one of the things I did to reduce weight was I only brought one charger. I only brought one charger for everything that I brought. And I brought, let's see, what did I brought? Three cameras, an iPad, headphones, a battery that needed to be recharged, microphones that needed to be charged. I mean, I had a lot of devices and I didn't want to bring all these little chargers for them. I thought, surely they make one charger to charge them all. So I set myself a rule. I wasn't going to bring anything that wasn't USB chargeable. And well, fortunately, that's almost everything these days. Even Macs now are USB charging. I didn't bring my Mac, but had I brought my Mac, I wouldn't have had to have brought a Mac charger. And then I was like, okay, so I'm going to need to charge these things at the same time. How am I going to do that? So it's rather than use like a power strip or anything like that, I found these bricks that use a slightly new technology and they charge four devices at once. And I used this thing the whole time. It worked brilliantly. So I'm going to heartily recommend it. I guess I should tell you what it is now. Um, it is the 
I don't know how to say this. Why do they use these words? Invzi. <laughs> Invzi? I-N-V-Z-I charger. Now, this is not an inexpensive thing, and you can find other ones that look a lot like this for less, but I'm going to talk about this one because I used it. Be careful with the specs here. The one I'm recommending to you now is on sale on Amazon right now for 70 bucks. I'll have a link in the show notes. $70 sounds like a lot for a USB charger. It's about what a Mac charger costs, but this thing has two 100-watt charging ports on it. That's a lot of power, folks. It also has a 20-watt charging port, which would be basically what they recommend for most current-generation phones these days, even though some of them can handle 30 watts. And then an 18-watt port for just about anything. Now, three of these ports are USB-C. All the higher-power ones are USB-C. And then the other one, the 18-watt one, is USB-A, the old, normal kind of USB. So you can plug anything you want in here. But what was really nice is that I could plug this into the wall and everything went in it. And it worked brilliantly. They even have an international plug option, which I bought. It was about 13 bucks. It's an add-on. And I felt like that was kind of a rip-off. But it worked really well. It just snapped on there. And I was able to plug it in in Uruguay and Buenos Aires, which was important that I got this. Because Uruguay uses Australian-style plugs, and so does Argentina to some extent, as well as European-style plugs. So I was able to use all three, and I did on my trip. Now, what I haven't told you the secret weapon of this thing is, it's tiny. This thing is, well, not tiny, but it's the size of the small MacBook chargers. Smaller than a hockey puck. It is not that big, and it has no cables. You just plug it into the wall and you have access to all this. And the little pluggies fold into it, so you end up with this really easy-to-travel-with package. The only downside to the thing is, is it has a little bit of weight. It's not terrible, but it does tend to pull itself out of the plug, which is a problem with a lot of these things. You'd think they'd come up with a solution to this. I was able to kind of bend the prongs a little bit and not have too much of a problem with it, but note that, yeah, there's a good chance you're going to yank this thing out of the plug. That said, uh, boy, I love it. I'm going to travel with it all the time. It's my only charger I'm going to bring with me now for everything. And it will charge your Dell XPS computers, your MacBook Pros, your iPad Pros, your Galaxy S21s, iPhones, whatever. It will charge them all and as fast as they can possibly charge. What's different about this one is it uses gallium arsenide. It's, a, 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 it's an old... It's an old chemical. It's been around since, well, everything. But it's, it's a new chemical that they're using in chargers, and it lets them make them smaller. And that's what's special about this. So I'll have a link in the show note. Again, it is the INVZI charger, 100-watt USB-C multi-port charger. I love it. And if you can find the same thing from a different company, that's probably fine, too. I see that Minix has one, but I am going to specifically recommend this one because it worked well for me and I didn't have any problems with it. But I will say that looking at the Minix, it does look like almost exactly the same thing, and it is only $59. So you know what? I'll have a link for both because that might be a bargain, but I have not tried it. <laughs> Now, that 100-watt charging is shared. You can't get 100 watts out of everything, but you can do 65 and 30, which would be plenty to charge an iPad, and iPhone, for example, or even a MacBook Pro. Tales from the road. 
So I just came back from a cruise that, you know, it was just a cruise. I'm not going to talk about that too much because it didn't have all that much to do with van life, except that I saw a bunch of really nice Toyota Hi-Ace vans that I wish we could get in the U.S. because they would make really nice campers. But we left from the port of Fort Lauderdale, which is called Port Everglades. It's one of the world's most popular cruise ports, and I used to live basically right down the street. I worked at the James Randi Educational Foundation, which was located maybe a mile from the port. I was down there all the time. And um, James the Amazing Randy was a retired magician who started an educational foundation. He was basically following in the footsteps of Houdini, who in his later years dedicated his time to basically investigating so-called psychics and other cult-like figures who were using magic tricks to fool people into believing they had real powers, basically. That That was Randy's thing. But before that... Uh, He was an escape artist, and he was famous for escaping from jails and handcuffs and hanging upside down from a helicopter over Niagara Falls in a straitjacket and escaping from that. I mean, that was his big thing. In fact, his old posters said, Randy, the man no jail can hold. Well... We would take Randy out to dinner every once in a while. Uh, my parents would come down and visit, and that was a fairly frequent thing, as we'd all go out to dinner, and he was a charming fellow to have dinner with. And we, we used to go to this Italian restaurant that was on 17th Street in Fort Lauderdale, which most people will recognize as the big road that goes to the beaches in the cruise port. And uh, it was over by Publix. I can't remember the name of the restaurant. It doesn't appear to be there anymore, but that's not important. What's important is we were sitting at a big round table having dinner, and Randy was regaling us with stories. And... He, he kept kind of looking under the table, and it sounded like he was tapping, like like tap dancing. It was, it was a bit odd. And now, Randy was a kind of a guy who would play magic tricks on you all the time. So we knew there was something going on, but we didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, for all we knew, our plates were going to levitate, or money was going to fall from the ceiling, or anything. We had no idea. But Randy's demeanor kind of belied that. He started to get angry, and... <laughs> We were not really sure what was going on. Randy Randy rarely got angry in these types of situations. Um, he was much more, despite his public persona, he would more often run towards humor <laughs> than anger. But not this time. No, this time uh, he was quite upset. And finally he burst up from the table and we'd realized that he was trapped. <laughs> His foot was trapped. He'd stepped on a glue trap. (laughs) For whatever reason, this restaurant must have had some kind of a rodent problem, and they decided to put glue traps under the table we were sitting at to have dinner, and Randy had put his foot in one. Now, if you've never seen one of these glue traps, they're just like a little, say, a Petri dish filled with an incredibly sticky glue, and the mice get on there and the glue keeps them there and they can't move and they die of dehydration. Sounds pretty horrible to me. Not my favorite way of getting rid of mice, nor is it my favorite way of getting rid of my magician escape artist boss. But it served that purpose here because he was done with the meal. At this point, he was furious because he could not escape from the glue trap. (laughs) He could not get it off of his foot. He yanked, he pulled, he twisted, he pushed it sideways. I mean, this is a guy who knows how to get out of stuff. He could find no way to get out of this glue trap. Until finally, like he always did, he got out of it. He yanked so hard that he ripped the entire sole off the bottom of his shoe. These were like leather, fancy dress shoes. Ripped the entire sole off and walked out of the restaurant in one stocking foot as though nothing had ever happened. (laughs) 
James the Amazing Randy, no longer with us, but undefeated when it comes to glue traps. A place to visit. I am going to talk about a place to visit that I know you have never been to, and it's because that's the place. So I'm going to tell you a little story, and I'm going to encourage you to follow what I did. I was driving to Texas, and um, I kind of hate driving to Texas, so I'm always looking for something to make the trip interesting. And I decided that I was just going to look at a map and pick a place with an interesting name and go there. And obviously it would have to be within striking distance of the route to Texas, but that's fine. There's lots of places with interesting names. I mean, you could go to Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, or Pickle Street, West Virginia, or, hey, hey, Intercourse, Pennsylvania, although I think most people have been there. At any rate, I decided to pick a place called Moon. Moon, Oklahoma. And I've actually told this lots of episodes ago. I actually told this story. But uh, yeah, I visited Moon, and it was a, a fascinating little trip. No, there's nothing there. <laughs> there's nothing in Moon. There's a few people live there. There's one building that actually mentions the name, and nobody in the towns around there has even heard of Moon. Because Moon, even though it's on the map, is a defunct train station. And there aren't even any roads that go there. The only way you can get there is down the train tracks. So this was just a fun little crazy thing. And you can do this, and it's... Fun. No, really. Pick out a map on your next trip and look at where you're going. Let's say you're driving from Philadelphia to Denver, because well, I don't know, why not? Look 20 miles on either side of the interstate for a town with an interesting name. Because any town with an interesting name is interesting. It has to be. Even if you get there and there's nothing there, it's interesting. For example, I once found myself in Bushyhead, Oklahoma. Again with Oklahoma. I don't know. This is it's just a coincidence. Why was I in Bushyhead, Oklahoma? Because I was dating a woman whose family name, way back, it wasn't her name, was Bushyhead. And there were famous people named Bushyhead in history in World War II. And it was a relatively common name in this one Indian tribe that lived in Oklahoma. Now, there's nothing in Bushyhead at all. Zero things. There's a little sign, and that's it. No houses, no people, but it's interesting nonetheless, and I'm glad I went there. So the next time you're just like, uh, where are we going to go? We've seen all the stuff. Forget about that. Just look at the names. Every place is named that for a reason. Sometimes they're silly reasons because they needed to name it something and they picked the name of the train station manager, whatever. Okay, fine. But if it has an interesting name... I promise there's an interesting story behind it. Resource recommendation. I've been waiting a long time to share this resource. This is a great resource because, well, I thought I would set myself up as an affiliate for this one, and that was very long and complicated. So, yes, I am an affiliate for this website. If you click on my link, I will receive 5% of your purchase and it will not affect your price at all. It's the same deal with Amazon, full disclosure. But the reason I went to the effort to become an affiliate of this site isn't because they contacted me or anything. It's because, wow, do we need this site. And the name of the site is VintageTrailerSupply.com. Now, I know, if you've got your 2021 Sprinter, you probably don't have much need for vintage trailer parts. But for me, with my 72 Win Winnebago and my 1993 Scamp, suddenly I need this stuff. <laughs> and even though Winnebago and Scamp are both still in business, 
this comes in handy. It is exactly what it sounds like. They have those really hard to find parts and really esoteric parts for your old trailers. They have all the cute wheels with the moon hubcaps. They have the awnings and the old patterns. They have the materials you need to polish your Airstream, you know, wall burnizing. Remember that? If you happen to have an Airstream, they, they have the stuff you need for that. And really super important, they have all the different gaskets and seals that go around doors and windows and things like that. Over time, those all get brittle and fail, and it's often very difficult to find exactly the right thing. Well, Vintage Trailer Parts has them. They also have all the old vintage lights, you know, the marker lights and, and tail lights and stuff like that, uh, and a whole lot of articles and helpful stuff. Anyway, I, I like this site, and that's why I went to the effort to become a, an affiliate. I will have a link in the show notes that has my affiliate link, so I ask you if you're interested in checking this out, please click the link in the show notes. No, I'm never going to find out if you don't, and honestly, I'm not going to care that much, but if you want to help support the show, that would be a great way to do it. They have lots of cool stuff. And if you don't have a vintage rig, like if you've got that 2021 Sprinter, take a look anyway, because they have parts that you may not have realized that you need and ideas on how to solve problems that you may not even realize you have. For example, one of the things they have right on their electrical site is a 12 volt DC bus bar. What's that you say? It's a metal bar with a bunch of screws in it. And the idea is that you could run a large cable to this from your big fuse block and then attach a whole bunch of little low voltage wires to this. It saves a ton of work with splicing and fuses and all that. And it makes it very, very neat. And all the old trailers have these, and they have them on the site. They also have a whole bunch of different size rubber grommets. If you're going to run wiring through a wall or something, and you want a rubber grommet to go through that hole, they have the ones that will fit perfectly, tell you what size hole to drill. You snap these things in. You don't have to worry about frayed wires. They are especially good for folks with Airstreams. I don't know how many Airstream owner people I have. And look at this. I'm going to give you a bonus resource. Well, it's not a resource. I don't know what this is. Let's just call this a bonus topic. I want to recommend a movie to you. I watched this movie on an airplane, and this movie isn't for everybody. If you watched Nomadland and hated it, this movie is probably not for you. But if you really liked Nomadland, this is similar but not the same. It's called A Love Song, and it's the story of a woman in an old trailer in a campground waiting for someone to show up. That's it. There's not a lot of dialogue. There's a whole lot of scenes of her laying in bed in her trailer or sitting at the picnic table or hiking around. And there's a few quirky moments. And then you have to wait to see if who she's waiting for shows up. No, this is not a remake of Waiting for Godot. This is actually a modern, sweet, touching, thoughtful, little bit philosophical movie probably aimed at older audiences but if you're the kind of person who is just enthralled by nomadic living i think there's something in this movie for you it's only 2.99 to buy the movie from amazon prime right now not to rent it to buy it it's one hour 21 minutes long it's not that big of an investment and uh, heck i just bought it because for 2.99 what what the heck if i watch it one more time it's worth it and i'm probably going to say hey you should see this movie and share it with people <laughs> You know who's in it? No, you don't, because I haven't told you. If you ever saw the movie Last of the Mohicans, the bad guy, Mugwa, from Last of the Mohicans, that actor, 
Wes Studi is his name. He is also in this. He makes an appearance in a very, very different role than the fierce warrior of Last of the Mohicans. It just struck me that this actor could play such totally different roles. Anyway, just a little bonus there. I, I, I liked it. I think you guys might too. And it'd be a nice sitting around the fire kind of watching movie. And, uh, you know, again, this is a thoughtful movie. It's not simple. And that wraps up episode 148. Thank you very, very much for listening, and thank you for sticking with me through some rough episodes. I'm going to try to do much better going forward. Music, as always, is by Simon Wegg. And until next time, remember the words of Mary Oliver. Snow was falling so much like stars, filling the dark trees, that one could easily imagine its reason for being was nothing more than prettiness. Prettiness.